A very good morning to some comments in today. Heike, just want to highlight a very positive experience in A&E yesterday. And I had every test under the world uh, done and I was in and out of A&E in three hours. The nursing staff and doctors were absolutely fantastic and I couldn't praise them enough. Delighted to hear that. Uh, Keith, the match is on Sunday, not Saturday. Sorry, Sunday it was. I was having a bit of a technical meltdown when I said Sunday, so apologies. And uh, also calls coming in today. Keith, I was working with Smartens for many years that you mentioned on Friday last as a volunteer and I absolutely loved every minute of it. And I also made some fantastic friends so they should all go to the open day in the Harbour Hotel. Philip O'Connor joins me because we're looking at a statement we got in over the weekend from IFAC and IFAC are warning Goldar farmers to get the right advice for registered farm partnerships and I'm joined by Philip O'Connor on the line. Philip, good morning to you. Good morning and thank you for having me on. Thanks for joining us uh, today on the programme. Um, okay, just, I mean, from the fr- who are you targeting this morning with um, this, this warning that you're putting out there? Well, I suppose it's, it's, it's a general warning around this time of the year the, the new schemes are launched, so we have a, a new BIS scheme, there'll be new TAM schemes, and there'll be a, a variety of schemes. And one of the ways of um, of claiming those those schemes, the Department of Agri grants and EU grants, is through, through a, a registered farm partnership structure. And I suppose really what we're talking about is that that while the, the structure is super to claim extra schemes and to bring young to bring a, a young farmer in and get the young farmer's top up, it is still a business structure, if you know what I mean. So it should be looked at as this is a business structure and how I want to run my farm and great, I can bring my son or daughter in and I get an extra few euros from the Department of Agri. And that's the way it's done then from there. But I mean, is, is, it, is it a way that the Department of Agriculture can put more money in people's pockets? Well, it, it, it was something that was launched a number of years ago actually by Simon Coveney when he was Department Minister of Agriculture. And I suppose... It was it was it was twofold. It was one, I suppose, recognizing the fact that the age the age profile of farmers is getting older and how to bring young farmers in, in onto the farm and to help with succession. So I suppose at its essence it was it was doing a number of things. It was right to so how do we, we promote succession with young farmers, how do we reduce the age profile of farmers, and how do we build a bit of an a smaller incentive, not a massive incentive, but of an incentive to, around that and to create a correct, legally sound business structure. So they, they created what was called registered farm partnerships. And partnerships have been a part of farming for tens of years, if you want to be, a long, long, long time. There's hundreds, thousands of different types of partnerships out there in every type of business. But the department put this particular structure around what they call the registered farm partnership. So if, if you farmed it and you set up the register in a, in a particular type of way, and part of that was getting the correct legal advice, accountancy advice, and agri advice, that you could bring your son or daughter, or anyone really, to be honest, but mainly it's been used as a succession tool, onto the farm, and you get some extra benefits of it. And I suppose the warning, and I suppose the reason why we were saying this out was that we, sometimes people kind of see the word grant or see the word subsidy, and they kind of focus on that without realising that this is a genuinely legal business structure. And that's the part you should be focusing on, as in, yes, um, I want to farm with a neighbour, or more probability, I want to run my son or daughter onto the farm, and start the succession process. But automatically then are you saying to the son or the daughter, are you saying that, you know, when, when I'm dead and gone, this is yours, then then you're managing expectations? Well, I suppose the beauty about the partnership is that when you when you do a partnership with anybody, you're not actually transferring any assets. You're really just deciding to run the business together. So yes, there is legal obligations about running a partnership together and, and so forth. You're not actually 
so you're not going, right, so I'm, I'm going to transfer over 20 acres to a son or daughter or 50 acres or so forth. You can actually, that decision can be moved down the line. So really what you're doing is you're, you're farming together with someone. So you're going to run the business together. You're going to have a joint bank on your name. So that person will have a say in how the business is going to be run. And I, I, we find, but, what we see from when we talk to farmers, is it, 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 it starts the succession process. But, but are you, I'm going back to this whole um, managing expectations Um uh, are you not setting expectations very high once you go into this partnership? Well, ideally, you should be forming a registered farm partnership if, with a person that, if in, all, if in all probability, they don't intend to farm into the future. Like, it is very important, like, I mean, and the department are quite strict about that, that people who form registered farm partnerships must be farming and deemed to be farming. So it's not a paper exercise. So, yes, if you are bringing a son or daughter or anybody really into the partnership, they should be they should be actively farming, as in they need to be involved in the day-to-day running of the farm. And what happens if that partnership breaks down? Well, that can happen. Um, in and we've had a, a number, a couple over the years that broke down. And um, the vast majority of the partnerships that we have in IFAC, they actually cease through succession, as in that at some stage that the the parents will step out of the partnership and their son or daughter will take it over and full trade. If you know what I mean. But yes, there there can be cases where it can break down, and that's where having it put together uh, legally sound and from an accountancy point of view that everyone is 100% aware of what their obligations and what stake they have in the business. So if it does break down, that it isn't a complex process to get, take it apart. Mm. And, and it can sometimes happen. So when you're saying independent legal advice, I take it for both sides of the partnership. So for the parent, perhaps, and the daughter or son, um, they would need to get independent legal advice. Is that what you're saying to me? Yeah, we would always say that it's worth having a chat with your solicitor, if you know what I mean, or chat with a, a strong advisor. Like, I mean, there's, there's, there's accountants and there's ag advisors who are very strong in this area, but everyone should at least, at a minimum, get some of the independent legal adv- uh, advice from somebody around the structure, if you know what I mean. Um, because it is a legal structure, like, and it, it does have consequences in the, into the future. And as you rightly said, like, you are kind of starting the succession process, so it, it can have impacts down the line. So it should be something that should be taking a bit of time to think about. Um, all family members should probably be involved in it as a decision as regards this is where we want to go, this is what we want to do. My, my son or daughter wants to come home and farm and that's great and we start the process, you know what I mean? So it shouldn't be, while yes, you, you should always get advice, the key one I think should be you shouldn't rush it. So everyone should be fully aware and everyone should be fully aware of what they're going into and how this structure will work. Mm. And if it's, if it's structured right, it's a super structure. It works really, really well. It starts the succession process. There's some nice extra grants built around it for farmers, if you want young farmers, top-ups, double TAMs and so forth. So it can really, really work to the benefit of everyone in the family and on the farm um, when it's done correctly. And again, I mean, is now the time to start looking at this? Or is there, has there been a date that has been missed? Or is there a date in the um, future? I know there was, well, some, there was some date back in October or the end of the year or something and uh, to do with uh, some grants and there was a hive of activity around that. There is. The, 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 the deadline for actually sending in registered farm partnerships for this block at the moment is actually this Friday, the 10th of February. But you can set up a registered farm partnership at any time during the year, if you know what I mean. You just have to be talk to your ag advisor about when we actually inform the Department of Agri of that change. But the official deadline for for this little tranche at the moment is the 10th of February. But by no means do you need to wait until the 10th of February next year to do a registered farm partnership. No, you don't. You can have a registered farm partnership at any time and get all your legal advice, all your accountancy advice, and have everything ready 
and you can send it into the department at a later date. Uh, but, and the structure would still be 100% sound and allow you to claim the grants and subsidies that you want to claim through it. And when will the grants start rolling then? When will they hit the bank accounts? Well, what happens then is because you're in this particular structure then it allows you when you apply for your base payment and your young farm and other young farmer top-up payments when that scheme, as you all know, that, 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 that date for those applications are the 15th of May. So basically, when you when you are deemed to be a registered farm partnership, the department give you like a, a little a special number to say that you're now identified in a particular way, and that allows you then to claim the enhanced grants. The main one, I suppose, that um, the biggest enhancement on is the double TAMS, and we're expecting the the new TAMS to be launched in, in the coming weeks. TAMS stands for what? Forgive me from a non-farming it's, background, Philip. It's, it's it's a capital investment scheme. So, in other words, if you do a, a particular piece of capital work on your farm that the Department of Agriculture will give you a grant on it. So there, there's the standard one that's coming out that's going to cover buildings and sheds and uh, slurry storage and so forth. Um, they're launching the new solar one. So the solar one is coming out and that will give you a, a 60% grant of putting solar panels on your farm. And there's the low emission slurry tank one. So to help with the nitrates, as you all know, nitrates is a huge issue in farming and how we manage slurry storage and how we spread it. So there's a low emission slurry spreader one that's coming out. And there's actually the new Women in Agri um, TAMS grant coming out that will allow women um, over the age of 40 claim a 60% grant on capital infrastructure if they have the green search up to the age of 66. Wow. So all, all those new TAMS are coming out and we're expecting them to come out this month. I think there's a huge amount in it though, Philip, isn't there? There is, and that's why it's very important when you're doing these structures and why we kind of do that warning that you don't kind of go, you, you see one type of grant, you go, oh great, I'll go for that and I'll, I'll tick this box and tick this box. And without really realising what you've actually done or the consequences to the business and how it was. So what we said, and that's why I said earlier on, like giving it time and sitting down and planning the structure you need to allow you to do everything you want to do in the farm within reason, if you know what I mean. So you're looking at all aspects of it. You're looking at succession, you're looking at the grants, you're looking at how you run the farm, you're looking at the wider family. So it's a, it's a holistic approach of looking at the, the business and then applying the structure that you need that will work best for you rather than you just focusing on one particular grant or one particular subsidy and kind of always getting tunnel vision in that without realising the impacts it has yeah. on the rest of the farm. So it's a broader scope then is what you're saying? It is. And business structures should be like, I mean, we're talking about registered farm partnerships here today, but it applies to all business structures, whether it be registered farm partnerships or joint herd numbers or limited companies. The same principle applies to it all. You don't rush into it and you don't do it because of particular subsidy or grant, you need to look at it the wider context of the farm. All right. Listen, uh, Philip, how can they get further details? I know, in fact, you have an office in Athenoy, I do believe. We have an office in Athenoy, we have one in Bell, we have one in Roscommon, so, yep, and you can just log on to, if you do, go on to our website, www.ifac.ie, you'll see all our contact details. And, like, I mean, these schemes are obviously run by the ag advisors as well. So chatting to a good independent ag advisor or chatting to your local tax advisor will also they will give you very good um, information and, and feedback on these particular schemes and how they work the business structures as well. I'd say the ag advisors are under ferocious pressure now with this deadline on Friday as well. I'd say the, I'd say the pressure is on. Yeah, sure. It's, it's the nature of things these days. God, there's the deadline nearly every week these days at the Department of Agri. So we'll be we'll sooner over the tent and the, the TAMs will come out and then we'll have the bits and... Yeah, it's just kind of the nitrate. So, yeah, we just tend to roll from deadline to deadline, but sure, that's the nature of farming at the moment. They're very highly regulated. 
Right, Philip O'Connor, thank you for joining us uh, today on the programme. Philip O'Connor of IFAC, further details can be had. By the way, I went for the first time to see Colleen Coon in the big screen and I'd seen bits of it, so I had, I'd, they gave me a link when it was first made and I watched a bit on the laptop and then I watched a bit in the telly, but I never watched it in full. Uh, but uh, with still with the Christmas present, the Christmas present that keeps giving that €45 Euro Omniplex uh, pass that we got, we got one each for Christmas. Uh, but um, we've got great mileage out of it. We went to see Colleen Coon yesterday in the Omniplex in Salt Hill. I have to say, when you see it on the big screen and you see it in its entirety and there's no phone going or a text message coming in, it was absolutely beautiful. It was stunningly beautiful. Uh, stunningly shot, resonated an awful with an awful lot of people in the in the um, omniplex yesterday. Resonated with me because I remember going to uh, where we live now to my uncle and granddad as a kid for the summer holidays, and I was gone once I got holidays from the Bish or or St Michael's or the Bish. I was gone just on that first Friday, picked up at school, gone, and you spent your your uh, summer out. Yeah, on a farm or in the bog or saving hay or saving someone else's hay or baling hay or whatever, driving a tractor. Uh, and then September would come and you'd have to go back to school. And the story is so beautifully done and it's from the original book indeed. And I started reading the book last night when I got home and it's so true to the book. But if you haven't seen Colleen Coon, uh, I suggest you go to it in the cinema. It's absolutely beautiful. It's bilingual and subtitled as well. Even though I understood all of the Irish in it. And Carrie was brilliant. The young girl was brilliant. Carrie Crowley was brilliant in it. Uh, her husband, who's played by the name escapes me now. The whole thing was just beautifully set, beautifully filmed. Cinematography was absolutely beautifully done by John Murphy. And uh, the commentary within it is uh, Jim Carney, who'd be John Murphy's uncle. Uh, it's a commentary of a match with me all here going back. But how they got it so authentic to, I'd say, mid 60s merely coming into the 70s in around that era I would think and there was uh, the cars were done but the decor was done and the carpets were done and the mugs were done and it was just beautifully beautifully done and the cuckoo outside and it was it's beautifully shot beautiful, just one of my favourite films um, of this year well of the last 12 months if you haven't seen it I suggest you go and see it uh, fairly soon. If you're involved in education, by the way, stay tuned. We have a lovely story coming the way from Chicago today to do with the Chicago Sister Cities um, Committee. And what they're looking for is they're looking for some um, pupils, female pupils between the ages of 14 and 16 uh, to join them as ambassadors as part of Sister City. Now, in the past, this was only open to city schools. It's open to city and county schools. Nuala Cabinet will give us full details on this next. So maybe get a pen and paper and uh, write this down. Galway is a sister city of the city of Chicago, so only sister cities. So Galway is the only one in Ireland that can nominate somebody, and uh, we'll give you the other uh, nominations shortly. I'll read them out to you uh, when I'm speaking with Nuala. So we'll be going live to Chicago uh, next. Stay tuned for that and more to come on today's programme. It's 10.24 now. Galway Talks, in association with Tesco. Find our award-winning Irish ranges in store and online at tesco.ie. A very good morning to you. Welcome in on this Tuesday morning. A very unique opportunity yet again is coming the way for uh, those in education in Galway. I want to go to Nuala Kavna, a native of Galway City, and uh, she is the co-chair of the Chicago Galway Sister Cities Committee. And she's uh, joining me on the line this morning. Uh, Nuala, good morning to you. Thanks for joining us uh, today. What exactly is the Global Leadership Summit, can I ask you? 
So it's a great program. Keith, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. Um, the Global Leadership Summit is actually a summit for young girls between the age of 14 and 16. It's a summit which is hosted by the Chicago Sister Cities, but also the University of Illinois at Chicago. It's a one-week leadership program, and it takes place in July every year. And as I said, it is for young girls between the age of 14 and 16. It's to help young girls develop in leadership. It's to bring out their activism skills, to concentrate on advocacy, to get girls interested in gender studies, and just to improve and help them develop in all of those areas. It's a great program. Most of the time it has been run in person, so each of the girls would have actually come to Chicago to attend. However, since COVID, we have run this program virtually, so the girls will attend from their own hometowns. Um, it's just a really, really good program. It's run by global leaders, so the people who are actually covering the curriculum of the program, they're global leaders from business backgrounds, organizational backgrounds, philanthropic backgrounds, and they have lots of expertise. They're visionaries in world, you know, world issues. Um, so anybody who attends the program, they're actually getting global knowledge from expertise in several different areas. And it's just a fabulous, fabulous program, and it's a great opportunity. It's a program which is given to Chicago residents, but also to their sister cities. So for anybody from Galway who'll be interested in the programme, it's just a fantastic opportunity for somebody to attend the programme. So can you give me none of the key criteria that they need to meet? So it's female, and you've given us the age profile, and the time scale is fairly tight on this because the applications need to be in very soon. Yeah, so the programme itself takes place from July 8th to the 15th. And to be eligible to attend the program, the girls have to be between the age of 14 and 16. They, of course, have to be available between July the 8th and 15th. And they have to be interested in activism, leadership, advocacy, and our gender studies. And then they have to submit an application online. That application, it's not a difficult application. It's very straightforward questions. And then they have to submit an essay, which isn't a long essay. It's 300 words or less. But... The application does have to be submitted by February 10th, which is coming up soon. And the website to go to is chicagosistercities.com. And again, when you say, you know, so the tight is, it's, it is time, it's, it's extremely tight. We're at seventh, so they have three days to get it in. And is it, is it a school that submits it on behalf of the girls or is it the girls themselves between 14 and 16? Do they put it in with their families? No, the girls themselves would actually submit the application. They do have to supply a reference in there. And if I, if, if I were to submit an application, I would put in the reference maybe as one of the teachers in the school or maybe if they're involved in, an, in a club outside the school, one of the mentors or one of the leaders at the club. The teacher at the school would be an absolute perfect reference. I can think of many schools in the Galway city area that uh, could benefit from this. So it's quite simply, I mean, if they go to the website that you've outlined them there, uh, they can do so. All you have to do is put in Chicago Sister Cities. It comes up from there, put in Global Youth Ambassadors uh, Leadership Programme, which runs from the 8th to the 15th uh, of July this year. It's been done virtually again this year. Hopefully next year's cohort will get to travel to Chicago. It's always been a a highlight for a lot of people that have gone through this programme. But again, just getting the 
application in. So maybe if we're talking to parents or teachers that might be on uh, on, a, on a bit of a school break or grandparents that might be listening to us, if you think that you have a young lady going to school, 14 to 16 years of age, that meets this criteria, they need to get applying and getting references in the next three days. Okay. So, Keith, what I'm saying there is that you've covered an awful lot there in what you've said, that one of the unique things about this particular program is that whilst it covers a lot of content which is very similar to other programs, the unique thing is that you're attending this program with other participants from all over the world. People from Delhi in India, from Mexico City, from Osaka in Japan, and you work on topics which are very topical and controversial. So you might work on, you know, local issues, um, let's say, how, you know, what type of money is invested on a local, local basis on female businesses as opposed to male businesses? Um, how, much, how many refugees were taken in on a local basis from the Ukraine this year? So any local issues, you will talk about them in comparison to what, what happened on a similar basis in Hamburg in Germany, in Delhi in India. So... Those particular topics are controversial topics, but you're discussing them on a global issue. So you learn so much from different cultures. It's unbelievable. It's just the, the information and finding out what happens, these issues in different countries is a total eye opener for people. And it's a huge learning experience. Now, there's an email address there, chicagoambassadors at gmail.com. And there's also a telephone number if you want to give us a ring here. We can give you that telephone number as well. Uh, but it's important uh, that they get those applications in NULA and get them in uh, straight away. It's yes. exciting. And when you look at the list of Chicago Absolutely. sister cities, you've got Accra and Ghana, you've got Amman in Jordan, Athens, Belgrade, Birmingham, Bogota, Busan in Korea, Casablanca, Delhi, Durban, Galway in there, Gothenburg, Hamburg, uh, Lahore in Pakistan, Lucerne in Switzerland, Switzerland, uh, Mexico City, Milan, Moscow, Osaka, Paris. Uh, we're going to Israel there, Prague, Shanghai, uh, Shenyang in China, Sydney and Toronto. And Galway's up there with all of those. So all of those cities hopefully will, up, will yeah. be... Um, uh, will be represented and hopefully following today's discussion we might get a nomination from Galway that can apply. Uh, not always successful, but you may be successful, but you need to get the application in. Nula, thank you for joining us uh, today and again. Absolutely. Chicago ambassadors at gmail.com. We've got a telephone number as well or just Google Chicago Sister Cities Committee. Perfect, perfect. Thank you so, so much, Keith, for having us on. Um, fabulous programme. Any of you girls out there between 14 and 16, apply for it. You're going to learn so much. Yeah, You're going to make absolutely. friends on a global basis. Fabulous program. Super. Thanks, Nula, for that. We'll uh, talk to you indeed uh, shortly. That's the wonderful Nula Kavnow, originally from Newcastle, and now residing in Chicago, joining us there. An early morning start for her. I want to go back, though, to, and again, if you want to get further details, just uh, give us a call here. We have a telephone number we can give you. But if you know a school that would like to get involved in that, uh, will you do so uh, straight away? Because the application is not too tedious, but has to be in by this coming Friday. It's open to city and county, by the way, as well. Now, last Friday morning at the programme, we were joined by Supermax Chief Executive and uh, founder Pat McDonough, and he was quite critical of the culture of settling disputed personal injuries claims outside the court, and he cited a seven-year legal battle over an incident that happened in Air Square Branch in Galway, and the person didn't even show up in court. Uh, Pat joins me on the line, I'm also joined uh, by... So, Pat, good morning to you again. Thanks for joining us here today. Sorry about, sorry about losing on Friday, but um, the, again, thinking about this over the weekend... Um, 
this does need to be reformed. And Peter Boland, you join me as well there as well. But how would you reform it, um, P- um, Pat, can I ask you? Well, basically, you know, if it were any other uh, situation like this, there'd be a public inquiry into it. Because, But because it is who it is, and the legal profession are so heavily involved in it, uh, and as I say, it's an industry for them to a large degree, uh, nothing is going to happen. But, um, uh, you know, there are some excellent judges in the country, and then there are some judges who are uh, quite sympathetic, not alone to the legal profession, but there may be some claimants as well. But at the end of the day, what I've found over the last, as I said, 35 years in this, and sitting in the back of a courtroom here in, across the country, uh, what you find is that the most important thing is who's going to pay the legal costs. And mm. basically, the insurance company is the the loser in that situation. But ultimately, it's the person that uh, is insured. And, you know, I'm I'm often amazed at how easily insurance companies settle cases. And, you know, we, we had a case ourselves quite recently where it was a road accident. And my God, they jumped, you had to go through uh, between not wanting to pay the fire brigade who were called out of the situation. And it wasn't, uh, luckily enough, it wasn't our, our fault. But, uh, you know, you had to go through the, a load of jumps to try and get paid. And even the value of the, of the vehicle, which was a write-off, um, was was uh, was seriously questioned and under under uh, underrated, uh, comparatively speaking. And I'm often surprised, as I say, how quickly insurance companies settle cases. But it appears that they say to themselves, maybe it's two things. Maybe it's the cost of of taking the case into court, or maybe it's the fact that they know they'll they'll claim it back over a period of of, of years from the insured insuring party. Whereas if they lose the case, like, or if they, you know, if, if they win the case, I should say, the claimant is probably never going to pay them anyway, or it just don't, doesn't turn up like what happened yeah. say, last week there. <clears throat> but but at the end of the day, though, and I'm not saying all cases, but some cases are fraudulent. And again, I'm not well, referring to, I'm, I'm, I'm not, totally I'm not, I'm not referring, but I am referring to the case where somebody didn't show up in court the other day. And I'm sorry, but somebody who took that case day one, and again, I'm not talking about the parties per se in question. I'm being very careful legally. But somebody who who took the case day one and should have followed it through, but for a client not to show up, I'm sorry. Pardon, they, they did follow it through because they were looking for us to settle it on the Monday That's uh, right. for five grand or something to that effect. So they did follow through. But their client decided, you know, uh, chances are they weren't going to win, I'm sure, and they just didn't show up. And... Um, uh, I don't know, at the time she was based in England, uh, whether she still is or not, I'm not sure. But anyway, that was the situation. But, but, but as I say, you know, they, 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 they make a, a judgment call, just no more than the case back in the day, when when, when the, the guys threw the water on the floor and the toilets, etc. They pulled the case actually so that it wouldn't go to court because they knew that the CCTV evidence was, was totally against what they said, you know. So, contrary to what they what they say, so they, in in cases, and they get advice from their solicitors as well, just to pull the case rather than embarrass themselves going into court. Mm. Stay with me if you don't mind, um, Peter Boland from the Insurance Alliance uh, joins me um, for the Alliance. Uh, yeah, sorry. Can I say? Sorry, can yeah, I say fair dues to Peter. As I say, they've done a great job in reforming the in the pie, in reforming the pie, and in that side of things, actually a lot of progress has been made. 
Stay with me, Pat, there. Um, Peter, good morning to you. Thanks for joining us from the Alliance of Insurance Reform. Um, again, it needs more reform and constant and ongoing reform in this one, Peter. Morning, Keith. Yeah, Pat's comments last week were very timely because uh, this hasn't been sorted. And like there has been a mountain of work done, a mountain of reforms pushed through. And basically everyone got their shoulder to the wheel on this because it is a genuine crisis, but it's one that can genuinely be resolved. So you have government, you have opposition, you have the judiciary, you have the Gardaí, and most importantly, probably you have policyholders doing everything in their possible remit. Uh, to get this whole area reformed and yet we're not seeing liability premiums come down and probably the most chilling part of the the article which quotes Pat last week is when he says and he's, he said it in other words already insurers know they have a better chance of getting their return back from the insured party if a case settles and by insured party obviously we mean the, the policy holder which is the community centre or the charity or the sports club or the small business and Pat acknowledges that he's in a privileged position and that he has the resources to to, to fight what is ridiculous uh, and what is a try-on uh, and what is dubious. Uh, but the reality is that normally policyholders are relying on their insurers. And yeah. I suppose if you go back even five years, the prevailing narrative was that the, at the bottom of this problem was the legal profession. But I, I, I think anyone who's watching this issue now would acknowledge that there's two parties who are making an enormous amount of money out of this uh, and do not want change. And that is the legal profession and the insurance industry. So following on from the point that both yourself and Pat made about fraud, back in 2019, the insurers were yelling very loudly about the impact of fraud on our insurance premiums. But even in that year, out of 33,000 personal injury claims registered that year, they only referred 153 to the Gardaí. Uh, and what's even worse is last year, they only referred half of that to the Gardaí 84. So they're not taking fraud seriously. They're not taking their policyholders and their policyholders' welfare seriously. Essentially, they're core objective is to make as much money as possible for their shareholders uh, and if that involves putting unbearable strain on their policyholders then so be it so the only people who can kick up about this are policyholders and the only people who can resolve it are government uh, and they still have a couple of things that they really need to get moving on uh, to be honest I think over the last month or so we've seen a real slowdown in progress um, but the whole duty of care issue, which if the if the legislation was right, then Pat shouldn't have had to go through uh, those seven years and the amount of time and money that's wasted in pursuing a case or defending a case for that long. Uh, and government has acknowledged that the duty of care legislation needs fixing, uh, but it's stuck in the doll now. Um, we haven't got a date uh, for it to get through the doll, uh, and we have a serious fear uh, that uh, that might fall by the wayside but, but, and that would be a very major issue Peter, and ultimately what we're not getting is competition Keith um, insurers have us where they want us when it comes to policy holders because you might say there's a lot of insurers in Ireland but when it comes to getting cover for a single business or voluntary organisation there's typically only one underwriter prepared 
to insure them yeah. and then they can charge what they like. But can I go back though to the, and I, go, I want to go to Pat again in a moment, but can I just go back to the fraud situation? If, if you fraudulently made um, or didn't disclose something in your insurance policy, the insurers would be quick enough to say, oh, oh, you're underinsured, sorry, that's it, good luck from there. Or you didn't say that you had 59,000 penalty points or something on your license and they would be quick enough to walk away from you. But on the other side, when somebody puts in a fraudulent claim against you and you have no control over that fraudulent claim because the insurance company drive it 100% and you as the client, me as the client, say for a motor policy or others, I have no say over that. They can settle that behind my back. It affects my policy and I have to pay more uh, for a period of three to five years and I lose my Oakland's bonus. But there's no comeback to the person who does, who takes the case and they are facilitated by the insurance company effectively. Precisely. And like they are legally obliged now um, for the last two years to keep you informed in a situation like that if there is a claim against you. Um, but ultimately, they can make their mind up how to how to approach it. And the vast majority of people don't have the resources to force the issue with their insurer. And it kind of summarizes the attitude of insurers towards policyholders. Uh, we are revenue generators or revenue contributors uh, and they will use us from a revenue point of view. Uh, but they will not look after our better interests. Uh, their priority, like I say, is their shareholders. And in fairness, as commercial organizations, they're obliged to look after their shareholders. But anyone who assumes that their broker or their insurer is on their side uh, is in cloud cuckoo land. And uh, I see Charlie Weston making just that point in the paper this morning where uh, loyalty is essentially seen as a weakness. Uh, by insurers to be exploited. So policyholders have to stand up for themselves and they must be helped by government in getting this issue sorted because if we leave it to the legal profession and the insurance industry, uh, then it will slip back to precisely where it was five or six years ago. Uh, and all the progress that we have made so far will be uh, amount to nothing. Uh, Peter, thanks for joining us. Uh, Pat, just back to you again. I mean, because... You're so passionate about this, and he mentioned resources there. Um, but you're going to keep fighting these, I take it, these claims that come in against you. Well, you have to fight. You have to be true to yourself first, as I say, and if you think something is wrong, it's wrong. There are many genuine, uh, obviously, claims, and, and that's what insurance is there for. It's the, the, the ones that are either totally fraudulent or totally exaggerated uh, are the ones that you have to, to stand up and fight. And you know yourself, like when when you see uh, some of those cases, and as I say, some of them actually that went to court, and it's costly going to court as well because you've you've a load of costs between engineers, medical costs, um, obviously the the legal profession, and witnesses at times. And you know it's 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 soul destroying to see like we had one that was got a lot of publicity there only a couple of months back. Uh, in relation to uh, again, it was a, it happened to be near a square, and allegedly the the chair bro- broke, the, and the chair did break, but and but the lady claimed she fell on the on the ground. Now, the CCTV showed she didn't fall on the ground, and then she said in court, "Oh, she couldn't remember." But if she couldn't remember, she had her, her mother and her daughter, and her sorry, sorry her mother and her sister, sister with her, that could have uh, told her what exactly what happened. But yet the judge in his wisdom decided to give her 18,000, even though the doctor to get evidence wasn't the doctor that examined her. So there were so many inconsistencies in some of these cases. And I suppose uh, 
as I say, you ask yourself now and again, you know, what's going on here? And yeah. and basically, I think it's a situation, as I say, where where who's going to pay the cost? And the, either the insurance company or whoever the, 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 the insured party is, is going to um, end up paying the cost at the end of the day and, and the, uh, the award. So that case cost in, in the region of 80 to 90,000 between, between all. And um, as I say, it was it was a lost situation. Uh, where the case where it, where it wasn't a genuine a genuine claim, as far as I was concerned. I think the law society, Pat, have a role in this. To be quite honest, um, I think they 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 they're, you know there's there's a serious situation of uh, you know emanating from this that um, if the both the the, the 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 law society and the bar council and even the judiciary. If people lose faith in the judicial system of the country and, and in the integrity of it, then it's not very long until the whole uh, law and order system falls apart. So, you know, it's, 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 it's quite serious. And uh, as I said before, um, it would be my concern over the next four or five years where law and order is, is going to. Because at the moment, I think the law is only for the law-abiding. Those that, um, that don't have any respect or for the law are doing their own thing out there and there's nothing seeming, seemingly being done about it. And I don't blame the Gardaí because the Gardaí hands are tied in a lot of situations. And uh, as I say, it's a serious situation okay. over the next uh, few years, I think, in the country. But that's a different story for a different day, I suppose. All right. Uh, Pat McDonough, Managing Director of Supermax, thank you for joining us. Peter Boland from the Alliance of Insurance Reform, thank you for joining us. Have you been affected by this? And if you have, you can email comments at goldbybfm.ie. That's comments at goldbybfm.ie. Goldberg Garthi, join us next. Um, Garthi Marcus Flynn is on with us just after these. Galway Talks, in association with Tesco. Click and Collect allows you to collect your order whenever suits you. Now, very good morning to you, Gartha Marcus Flynn joins us in um, on the phone today. He's looking for your assistance uh, today. Gartha Flynn, good morning to you. Good morning, Keith. Thanks for joining us. Now, we're starting with burglaries uh, today, and you're coming not too far away from here, but uh, you're going to the Sean Mulvoy Road on the first one there. Keith, on Sunday, 29th of January at 7.30am, a lone male attempted to force the door of a business premise, or of a premises on Sean Mulvoy Road. Uh, the male attempted to force the door using a crowbar, Anyone who may have witnessed this incident or any other information is asked to contact Gardamar Kelly at Gala Garda Station on 091538000. Okay, that's in the Shambalvoy Road. For the next one, we're going across the bridge to Newcastle Road. Between 9am on Tuesday the 31st of January and 5.55am on Wednesday the 1st of February, uh, business premises on Newcastle Road was broken into entry was gained by forcing the door of the premises. Gardy are appealing for anyone who may have noticed any persons or vehicles acting suspicious in the area to contact Galway Guard Station on 091-538000. Now you're looking at theft from vehicles at this stage and the first one we're going to Ballybrit on this one. Keep between 12pm on Sunday 29th of January and 10am on Monday the 31st of January a 09C Blue Ford Focus was broken into in the meadows in Ballybrit. A Bang & Ufflesen Bluetooth speaker was stolen from the car Anyone who may have witnessed this incident or with any other information is asked to contact Garda Nullick McAndrew at Galway Garda Station on 091-538000. Now, sticking with thefts from MPVs as well, uh, you're going to the Heinz's Yard car park there. Between approximately 6.30pm on Saturday the 4th and 1.30pm on Sunday the 5th of January, 
a 162G Mac Audi A3 was broken into in Heinz's Yard Car Park on Merchants Road in the city centre. A pair of Armani sunglasses stolen from the car. Anyone who may have witnessed the incident or with any other information is asked to contact Galway Guard Station again on 091 538000. And again, Keith, if anyone has offered these sunglasses for sale, they might contact their local guard station. Absolutely, and there may be some CCTV in the area because um, that's an enclosed car park there as well. Um, let's stick with um, burglaries at this stage and criminal damage. I go to criminal damage. I want to go to Ballyban for the first one there, Gareth Flynn. On Monday, the 6th of February at approximately 5 in the morning, the window of a house in Lasnaquilla in Ballyban was smashed. The homeowners were asleep at the time and did not witness the incident. So anyone who may have witnessed the incident is asked to contact Galway Garda Station, again, 091-538000. Again, you're staying in Ballyban for the next criminal damage. It's correct, Keith, actually, we're staying in Lasnaquilla again. And on Monday, the 6th of February, the front door of a house in Lasnaquilla in Ballyban was damaged by a lone male with an axe. This incident happened around 5pm and the male fled on foot. The male was dressed all in black and had their hood up and their face covered. Anyone who may have witnessed the incident is asked to contact Galway Guard Station on 538000 or the Garda Confidential Line on 1-800-666-111. That's quite a frightening one, so it is, Marcus. An axe at a door at 5pm in the, in the afternoon. Um, if somebody knows anything about this, contact Galway Guard the straightaway 538000 or 1-800-666-111. Frightening for the families involved. Um, again, just dealing with criminal damage, you're going to the Galway Retail Park for the next one there. On Saturday the 4th of February, the rear window of a 192 blue Volkswagen Passat was smashed outside McDonald's in the Galway Retail Park. This incident happened at around 10 past 11 in the evening, 10 past 11 p.m. Anyone who may have witnessed this incident or with any other information, again, Keith, call the Garda Station 538000. Now, in relation to criminal damage, again, we're going back to a car in the Ballyban region. On Thursday, the 2nd of February, between 1 a.m. and 2 a.m., a 142MO Grey Peugeot 3008 was set on a light outside a house in Glenbone in Ballyban. The homeowner was awoken when the fire set off the alarm in the car. Gardy, you are asking anyone who may have witnessed this incident or who made any other, other information to contact Galway Garda Station on 538000 or again keeps the Garda confidential line on 1-800-666-111. Finally, when it comes to criminal damage, um, you're not too far away from your own office in Mill Street there. No, that's correct, Keith. Between 7pm on Tuesday, the 31st of January, and 9am on Wednesday, the 1st of February, the Wingmer was broken off a 060 black Suzuki Swift while it was parked on Mill Street here in the city centre. Anyone who may have witnessed this information, or again, with any other information, to contact Gullagar Station, 091 You have some um, public reminders there, so you have. Keith, this is just to reiterate what we had on the radio show last week. Um, as the public may be aware, there is a new Garda operational model resulting in boundary changes in the Athenry, Loch George, Ormore, and Monavay areas, which now fall under the Galway West Community Engagement Functional Area. There is no changes to manpower available, and the changes do not affect the ability of Garda to respond to calls for required. The public office in Ormore is open from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. or 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. daily. Uh, office opening hours in Athenry, Loch George and Monavay will be displayed at the station. If due to operational reasons the public office is closed, calls from the public are diverted to Clifton Garda Station. Messages can be left here and will be relayed to the relevant Gardaí in either 
Anthony, Lock George, or Moore, or Monavay. And as always, keep your immediate assistance where you required. Call 999. All right. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, today on the uh, program. Brother Marcus Flynn, uh, thank you for joining us uh, today. Uh, Keith, just want to compliment you on the show this morning. The topic of funerals, it was great listening. As we're getting on in life, you appreciate topics such as this being highlighted. It's something we don't talk about enough in this country is death. As I said, we had a conversation about over the weekend after Colleen Goomba, by the way, yesterday evening. Uh, we went for a walk and I was kind of, yeah, I, as of now, I want to be cremated. Uh, as of now um, but we had the conversation Joe wants to be cremated I want to be cremated as of now could change my mind but I, we don't talk enough about death am I right or wrong 0917700077 and uh, you can also WhatsApp us to 086 with thanks to the team in Rationale Windows Galway Talks in association with Tesco find our award winning Irish ranges in store and online at tesco.ie